This is the podcast about transatlantic business by MCHEM Germany. The Clue. Hello everyone and welcome back to The Clue. My name is Katharina Luise Kittler and I'm the Head of Communications and Government Relations at MCHEM Germany. We are back with a brand new episode today and I'm very happy to welcome TV journalist Tina Hassel today. Hello. Yes, hello Katharina. The last weeks have been pretty exciting when we are looking at the recent political developments in Germany. A few weeks ago, the German general elections took place and of course, they are also affecting the economic situation in Germany and as well the transatlantic partnership with the US. So we invited Tina Hasse to the clue today to talk about the election outcome and what it means for transatlantic relations. Tina Hasse is one of Germany's best known journalists. She is heading the Berlin studio of the ARD. And before that, she also reported from their office in Washington, DC. So Tina Hassel has a remarkable background in journalism and transatlantic relations. And I'm looking forward to an interesting conversation today. So thank you again, Tina Hassel, for being here. Thanks, it's a pleasure, thank you. So um, as I already said, last month, Germany went to the polls and the days right after the election were pretty exciting and interesting. The result is, I would say, rather unusual for Germany in comparison to the last years. Mm -hmm. The Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats are only, I think, 1.6% away from each other. And Olaf Scholz, the candidate for chancellor of the SPD, has started talks with the Greens and the Free Democrats. So maybe to start our conversation today, how would you analyze the outcome of the election, also in comparison to the previous ones, especially when we are looking at the two bigger parties? Definitely. I, I fully agree with what you said, Katerina, before. I think this election really marks the end of an era in Germany. We are facing a historical turning point, and this um, because after 16 years, Angela Merkel is leaving um, and will not be the chancellor anymore. So there is some kind of wind of change. And um, this wind of change um, is there because we have for the first time, and I think we will have it quite soon, um, a three-party coalition uh, on uh, the national level. We never had that. We do know those coalitions on uh, the lender ebene, um, but not on a national um, state level. And this, um, how uh, we name it here, the traffic light coalition due to the colors of the associated parties, um, meaning red for the Social Democrats, green for the Green Party and yellow for the Liberals, will really be something very, very new. Yeah, I think so too. And you already mentioned it that we are facing a historical turning point here in Germany. But I think we also saw similar developments in other European countries during the last years. Would you describe the current situation in Germany also as a change of the overall political and party system? Yeah, I think uh, this is absolutely right, um, meaning the weakening of the big and strong parties um, is something we see in uh, different countries as well. We have uh, leading parties who 
can't um, catch their audience and their voters anymore. We have a more and more diverse and more and more fragmented political landscape in Europe. And this trend uh, now comes to uh, Germany. Um, we were lacking behind that trend, but we do have that. And um, I think uh, at the one hand, it gives some fresh alternatives um, to the longstanding parties. But at the other hand, it makes compromises and maybe coalition talks way more complicated and um, so uh, yeah I think we kind of catching up with an overall trend here. Yeah, that's true. And um, looking at that trend, I also think that um, the election campaigns have been influenced by that. When we're looking, um, for example, at election campaigns in the US, they're mostly focusing on the candidates and the people. And I think we saw a similar development here in Germany because um, especially the candidates um, of the Christian Democrats and the Green Party had difficulties to position their their people rather than, um, you know, bringing up in important topics and, and uh, subjects. So um, what is your take on that development? Yeah, I think... Um... We can't really compare our political systems in the States and here. We still do have strong party organizations. We don't have primaries to, to elect the front runner. Um, and we rarely, um, unfortunately, we rarely have fresh political faces who come from outside the traditional party pathways. But, and uh, this is what your question is aiming for, personality is becoming more and more decisive um, here as well. Um, people are less voting for programs, uh, but uh, more for a singular candidate. And this trend uh, was very, was really decisive in this uh, special election because we had two front runners, uh, Armin Laschet and um, Annalena Baerbock, who were um, not the most popular candidates, not the ones uh, maybe who would have survived uh, a primary, but uh, they were selected by their parties for different reasons and uh, then had a couple of, of difficulties and they had to face it. And so I think, yeah, you're right. I think the way of the personality of the candidate is very important. And all those people, uh, mainly in CDU, the Christian Democrats who thought, yeah, okay, maybe Laschet is not the most popular front runner, but people still, if it comes down to election day, will uh, then vote for the Christian Democrats like they always did. This is no more true. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And maybe to follow up on, on that and the, the situation we saw with the front runners from a journalistic point of view, and you're also an expert in storytelling, why didn't it work out, especially for Armin Laschet and Annalena Baerbock to present themselves as, as the next German chancellor with, you know, a clear vision and a real story? For both, first of all, and unfortunately, we don't have um, a system of background checks uh, for front runners, as I said. And Annalena Baerbock and Laschet, um, they had a long list of maybe small mistakes, but uh, the addition of all those small mistakes uh, then turned out to be really an obstacle for both. And um, I think if you start with Laschet, because you can't compare them completely, but for um, Armin Laschet, the front runner for the Christian Democrats, um, 
he was lacking charisma and um, he didn't have a really strong telling of what he wants to achieve as a chancellor. Uh, there was a very crucial uh, <laughs> situation when a journalist asked him, tell us the first three and most important points you want and goals you want to achieve uh, once you are chancellor. And he just uh, was able to name two of them. And, 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 and then the lady asked, yeah, but the third one, and he's, he could not deliver. So this is something what, which was really striking. And then we had this picture during the floods. Uh, we had um, regional flooding here, and he was there as a crisis manager. And normally, this could have been a moment uh, to really um, boost as a candidate for his campaign, but there was a very unpleasant a photo taken when Armin Laschet was standing there smiling and kind of uh, giggling with uh, people standing next to him. And this was in a way um, like a final nail in the coffin, which ultimately doomed um, its run for the chancellorship. And it was because this was like condensating and uh, nailing down something that people were questioning is this man able to really be a crisis manager and uh, be the next chancellor and uh, to be fair to Armin Laschet you have to know as well and mention that they're on top of this we had that brutal infight with Markus Söder, the, the Bavarian uh, CSU uh, chief, and um, Söder never really shied away from talking negatively about Laschet and further sabotaging its campaign. And Annalena Baerbock's problem, the Green Party um, frontrunner, was something different. She was virtually unknown. She was riding a wave of optimism that she would be the one for a fundamentally changing German politics. Um, but then uh, all this image was built on trust, upon trust. And then there was a whole series. She uh, made mistake after mistake. Um, first, she didn't really uh, claimed openly um, funds. Uh, then she had this incorrect statement in official papers in her CV. And then um, at the end of uh, this series, um, she wrote a book. And then it turned out that um, not in one place, but in a series of uh, more than 10, um, 10 pages, she had uh, pl plagiarism in her book. So she took sources without declaring them. And all this series, once again, turned out that people said, do we trust this lady to be probably the next chancellor of Germany and um, for a different reason, but then as well, they turned away and said, no, we don't. And this was really something which completely shifted the, uh, the campaign and Olaf Scholz, the head of the SPD came, <laughs> came into the play and could at the end succeed. Yeah, thank you for, for this analysis. And I think especially the terms trust and respect, we're hearing them um, a lot these times and um, the social democrats and the greens and also the free democrats have started conversations to find out if they have common ground to build a coalition after these yeah turbulent election campaigns 
and they have also published a paper with some first results of the talks and will continue negotiating a coalition. I, I think they will also publish um, a statement today about the different groups that are starting the negotiations. So currently they're not sharing much about these conversations besides the official paper and of course um, the statements. But all eyes are on them during the next weeks. And um, I think Olaf Scholz seems to be very optimistic and stated that, that Germany will have a new government already before Christmas. And they want to vote for the chancellor, I think, in the second week of December. So looking at the negotiations four years ago, that would be pretty fast. How would you evaluate the talks so far and also the paper that has been published recently? Yeah, Katerina, they are really fast and ambitious. And you're completely right. Today, uh, the day we are talking is uh, the real start of the coalition talks before they kind of had some pre-discussions uh, and had this first, um, as you mentioned, uh, paper. But today, they are even more ambitious than we thought. Uh, they want to finish um, already uh, the discussions in mid-November. Uh, uh, they want to have the coalition treaty already um, ready at hand uh, at the end of November and the new chancellor um, will be in office or the election of the new chancellor uh, in the parliament um, uh, is now set up for already um, December 6th so Nicolas Day so it's really fast and they were saying and this was interesting because all three parties um, secretary um, of, of all three parties held that uh, press conference um, today and they said if you talk too long, uh, problems won't fade and won't uh, become smaller, but you have to be ambitious, um, you have to speed up, then you really have to nail it down. Um, and so they are still fueling huge expectations and they had already done that with their exploratory paper you were referring to. And it's always the same way of um, not giving a lot of details of really at least pretending to to cooperate very closely and the whole thing is built on trust and uh, so far it was very important for them that nothing was leaked uh, for us journalists you said it's it's something you we don't like and no, and we don't know because normally in uh, berlin and the political national uh, scene here there's always leakage uh, everywhere you have papers you have SMS, you have calls, background calls. And these um, three parties really um, speed up and don't leak anything. And um, this is something absolutely um, unusual here. But for them, it's very, um, very important because it's like um, a level of trust. And they say um, we could and we can write down a lot of things, but after all, um, we can't predict what crisis will come. And so we have to be really sure that we can work uh, together on a confidential um, basis. Do you think that this is also a new culture of negotiations in comparison to the ones we had four years ago? My ob observation was that four years ago, they really dived into the topics and they cared a lot about details. And mm -hmm. maybe this is something new now. 
Yeah, right. absolutely. Absolutely. And all those who are negotiating had been part of the first coalition talks for Jamaica in 2017. And they have all um, said that they won't never experience this again and that they all have their lessons learned. And at the, this first uh, try in 2017, there was no confidence. Um, the liberals had the impression that they were the un, um, unloved and unpleasant uh, third, <laughs> third um, or the ugly, they said, the, the ugly um, uncle coming and joining the party as well. And um, then because there was no trust, they tried to really write every detail down. And I saw those... Um, those uh, papers uh, afterwards, they showed me it. And it's a hundred of little details because there was no trust. And this time they said, okay, we will do that completely differently. Uh, no night talks, no weekend talks. Um, just, I mean, just write down what's really important for all the um, parties in this coalition and start um, on positive uh, note and start with things uh, you can easily agree on. And then narrow down to the more complicated ones and apparently it works um i mean the the hard work isn't coming now because it's still um very it's not very detailed so far but apparently um they are still optimistic and i think it's a lot of, uh, more already is set up than we might know and they fixed it down in the first paper yeah, I think that is a very, very interesting development right now. And maybe coming back to the topics of the negotiation, we are looking at them, of course, um, through a transatlantic lens, but also from an economic perspective. And it's extremely important also for our members, but for all companies in Germany and who are active um, transatlantically to strengthen Germany as a business location. So do you think that the three parties can agree on actions here, which can have a positive effect on business in Germany? And maybe as a follow-up question, um, can you name a few topics that will be especially hard to negotiate? And are there also on the other side topics that are easy to, to mm -hmm. um, find a compromise? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, starting with the um, with the business community here as well. I um, I think they are all quite happy that um, we might have more um, yeah stability, but as well more winds of change. Um, and uh, the business community here um, clearly formulated what it expected from the future government. And they expect that there will, won't be any tax increases. They want to have powerful industrial policy. They want to have better startup support, shorter planning uh, and approval procedures, and more competitive um, energy prices. And I think all those areas um, might be um, something that the um, economy and industry can be quite optimistic. For the most part, the liberals now seem to have already pushed through uh, all those demands, at least according to the exploratory papers. This is why the um, people here and, and business experts are um, quite um, positive on the outcome. Before, during the run-up to the Bundestag election, 
uh, many business associations, they were preferring Jamaica coalition um, to that uh, red, green, yellow government. But right now, and with uh, what we do know, um, they are um, very happy because um, it's uh, written black and white, no tax increases, no softening of the debt break. And um, so um, I think uh, they are really happy and there will be a fresh wind because the new government will push for digitization. Um, they want to have um, immediate climate protection program and a lot of in a huge invest investment programs. So I think this is something very optimistic. And then you ask for um, more complicated uh, areas. And I think it's all the, the, the question mark, it's all about the issue of financing. There, I think, is a number of very sticking points uh, ranging from social policy to foreign policy and um, mainly financing. Because um, if you want to spend way more um, than the foreign government without having less money, um, there's a lot of question marks. And I think Think I'm really curious how they will fix um, this problem. Yeah, that will be pretty interesting. And I think all these developments and negotiations will also be closely observed on the other side of the Atlantic. And mm -hmm. um, of course, it was no surprise that international politics played a minor role during the election campaign. We know that. But it is nevertheless highly important, especially to the economic success of Germany. And I already mentioned it at the beginning of this episode, you have lived and worked in Washington, D.C. for quite some time. And from your experience, how does the U.S. look at Germany at the moment and what do they hope for with the new government? Yeah, thanks. I, I still, and I'm very happy about that, I still have a lot of friends um, in the States uh, all over uh, all over the country, and they all tell me the same thing. And I mean, of course, we exchange a lot of emails and uh, we have um, a lot of um, phone calls and they all, and I think the US, like all our other international partners, they are hoping that the transition period won't last too long and that Germany will soon have a stable and reliable government again as soon. And um, at the one hand, desire that the stability that Germany has become known for under the 16 years of the um, Angela Merkel administration will not be lost once we have a new leadership. But at the same time, um, they hope that um, we might be a little bit more engaged in fields, in other policy fields. Um, hopes um, on different uh, levels. I think the, um, the allies, as same as the Biden administration, are pushing our new government um, for a more um, ambitious um, foreign and security policy stance. Uh, they demand more robust engagement, more defense spending, more military operations under European leadership, then I think um, they all and the Biden administration, as same as the European partners, hope that we um, will invest more, Germany will invest more, um, and not just uh, look for austerity uh, policy. And I know that the Biden administration demands a more firm stance concerning China, maybe not decoupling as one Washington might um, wish we could do, but at least a more uh, firm stance because um, from time to time the US um, and this 
across the aisle uh, in in the states had the impression that germany had the business first um, approach um, rather v china and um, did not realize um, that china um, is becoming a growing threat to our common values and interests yeah i think a joint strategy to to find an answer to to china is extremely important and maybe with um, the new administration coming up in germany and President Joe Biden, who is also rather new in, in his um, position, maybe creates a new window of mm -hmm. opportunity for both of them. Absolutely, absolutely. First of all, I think um, we have a, a common a window of opportunity um, because we have the same approach of big spending planned in areas like climate change and infrastructure. And I mean, Germany and the new government here, they look quite closely to the big um, Biden's new bill and what he uh, put there. So I think, of course, um, this is something uh, which can really be a common uh, goal. And um, I think uh, there is a window of opportunity. And at the same time, I think um, the foreign German or the current German administration and the new German administration do know that there's just a, probably a small window of opportunity. Um, because I mean, uh, we all um, know that the transatlantic relationship had been in a sorry state during the Trump administration. And um, therefore, there had been in Europe and in Germany huge relief um, when the Biden administration came to office. But for the first time, um, it was like a wake-up call because uh, Europeans and Germans understood that probably we can't blindly rely that the U.S. is always solving all our problems that Germany, that the European partners have to act like grown-ups and um, kind of take their responsibility as well. And we understood here in Germany um, that the US presidential elections have huge implications on European security policy, but as well European trade relationships. And so I think everyone is eager to really use that short window of opportunity uh, that we have uh, to really focus on cooperation and step up and be prepared for whatever. And we have um, the G7 presidency of oh, Germany yeah. <laughs> next year. <laughs> Maybe as a last question um, for, for today, or um, almost the last question, um, we have the G7 presidency coming up next year and the elections in France also. How will this influence transatlantic relations and how could Germany use this role with the G7? The concrete agenda for this summit, uh, it's the new federal government who have to work that out. But of course, there's already a lot of, of ambitious planning uh, behind that. And for Germany, it's very important because uh, they want to use it together um, with um, Washington and the other partners of the G7 to, first of all, uphold a, a rule-based uh, international trade system, which is very, very important. And um, then uphold as well and give new and fresh uh, impulses and, and fresh ideas to what is called the West and the West in, in a very large way of kind of shared interests, uh, shared values, and, uh, and on a more um, concrete uh, basis, Germany is aiming to use the G7 presidency for 
combating the climate crisis, very important for economic recovery after the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, the future of the infrastructure program um, announced already in Corvus Bay, the protection of personal data in a digital space, very important for Germany as well as for the states and um, for cooperation with Africa that might at least is something very special and for, for the German um, G7 presidency. So there's huge issues for that agenda. And once again, um, the concrete agenda, it's the new federal government who will work that out. But I think this is the frame um, um, of what is already prepared so far. So we talked a lot politics today, but I always like to end each episode with sharing some personal experiences with the US or its partnership with Germany. You also have a special connection with the US. You um, said that a few minutes ago. What do you personally hope for when you think of the future of the transatlantic relationship? Oh, for me, transatlantic relationship is um, something very, very um, concrete and uh, something I really can't appreciate enough. My kids, they went to American, uh, German-American school here in Berlin. And I hope that, uh, first of all, on a personal basis, the very close relationship will continue because on a personal and a private basis, I think we are doing very well transatlantically. Then I hope the US and the EU uh, will on a political uh, basis continue to see consistency and in their relationship. I mean, for a long time, a transatlantic partnership was shaped by security and defense issues very important, of course, but I hope that for the younger ones, um, there might be um, as well other values and, and approaches um, who can bring them together. This could be um, climate change, for example. Um, I think this is really could be a common ground uh, for young Americans and young uh, Germans or Europeans to, to really understand the value of this transatlantic partnership. I hope that day on a daily business, everyone here in Germany can understand how grateful we should be um, what uh, the states did for us and our democracy and then revitalize and um, really refresh that understanding day for day on a daily basis. And I think climate change or forms of um, data security and um, startup um, community and spirit and things like that can really be very, yeah, put it sexy for younger people as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's up to all of us to work on this very special and important relationship. So thank you very much for sharing that. And again, thanks a lot for taking the time today. I know that you're very busy at the moment and I highly appreciate that we could have this conversation today. So thank you very much. Oh, I thank you, Katerina. It was my pleasure and, and thanks. And um, yeah, let's talk in a year. Maybe we can really say how how far that uh, new government and the new approaches on a new transatlantic partnership uh, will have already achieved. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. And if you, our listeners, want to keep up with transatlantic relations and also the business relationship between the US and Germany, visit our website mchem.de and follow us on social media. Thanks for tuning in today. Thank you, Tina Hassel, and talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you.